You're listening to Collegiate Chaos. Here are your hosts, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry. Welcome to this week's episode of Collegiate Chaos, March 31st, episode 10. I'm Ben Dixon alongside Matt Levine and Sam Ostry. Today we're going to do some Terps talk, uh, some men's basketball updates, uh, women's basketball short recap. Then we're going to recap the Elite Eight of the men's tournament and preview the Final Four. Uh, but first off, how you boys doing today? Doing great. It was a great weekend. Sweet 16, the Elite Eight Bowl, and ready for the Final Four in a couple days. I can't believe the Final Four is already here. This thing goes by too fast, it's especially upsetting. not having it for a year. It's upsetting. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll dive right into it. We'll start with some Maryland men's basketball updates. Uh, just a quick bullet, few bullet points to hit on uh, as of now. The coaching situation is still in limbo. Damon Evans yet to act. Uh, I'm still on the train that I think Turgeon is getting a short extension, but we will see what happens there. Um, we'll start with that. Well, I mean, what do you guys think about the coaching situation right now? Yeah, last week on the episode, I said I didn't think Turgeon was be coaching next season. I've completely flip flopped. I think he's going to be there, but an announcement needs to be made. I mean, for for recruiting purposes, for the transfer portal portal purposes, it needs to be said whether it's he's going to be extended, whether it's a short term, whether it's a long term. I mean, something needs to come out. Like we saw with Bobby Pettiford, with a recruit that a lot of people thought Maryland would get, he didn't get. We don't know how much of a factor that was because is. Maybe because he wasn't sure if Turgeon was going to be here next year. But one way or the other, in the next couple of days, it needs to be decided whether Turgeon is going to be extended or not. Yeah, I think the longer Maryland waits to decide if they're going to extend Mark Turgeon, give him a shorter contract, less money, which has been rumored as well, a school-friendly contract. Or we've seen the odds on different sports betting books that Mark Turgeon would have the highest odds to become Oklahoma's next head coach. Um, There's just obviously different question marks right now, and nobody really knows. I think every source that people are using out in the world has just led to different directions. The only people that really know are probably Damon Evans and Mark Turgeon. But uh, I think that's that's where recruiting, and, and you mentioned Sam, the transfer portal and everything, that comes into play here because if they keep missing out on guys... When is the decision going to be made? And you're not going to land a recruit if you don't know who the coach is going to be in 10 months or whatever it is until the season starts again. So I think the decision needs to be made probably by the end of the week. Um, And I'm also leaning towards Mark Turgeon getting a school-friendly short contract extension. Yeah, well, I, I texted my dad, who's a University of Maryland alum, probably four or five days ago. Huge fan of the show. Yeah, huge fan of the show. David But um, <laughs> we were texting about it, and we basically said, and we were on the same page, the longer that Damon Evans waits to make a decision, um, at least in public, behind closed doors, like it is what it is, but you lose out on a guy like Bobby Pettiford, four-star point guard that Maryland thought they had a pretty good chance at, didn't get. You wonder if the coaching situation had something to do with that. He's going to Kansas. But the longer you wait to make a decision, if you're Damon Evans, the athletic director, the more it hurts the program. There's over a 1,000 names in the transfer portal. There's still some quality seniors, not a, not a lot, but some quality seniors that you can still get. That'll be freshmen next year. And the longer you wait the more it hurts the program. Damon Evans took the athletic director job. I mean, that's what the athletic director job is. You, you're paid to make tough decisions like this. And whether it's been made or not, I really don't think it has been. Who knows? But um, to me, he's got he's to announce his decision sooner or later, either commit to, to Terzian as coach for the future or move elsewhere because you, you can't just keep sitting around because the longer you wait, the more you're hurting the program. 
Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, what is, what is Damon Evans waiting for at this point? I think he has an idea at this point. I'm sure he's talked to everyone he needs to talk to of what he wants to do. And I'm sure he's, if he's done his due diligence of who's out there, who could be a potential replacement, probably didn't find anyone. So he's willing to bring Turgeon back on some sort of short, short-term um, school-friendly deal. But he, he, I mean, I'm not sure what he's waiting for at this point. The decision needs to be made in the next couple of days. Yeah, so we'll move on from the coaching situation to take a look at the, really, the phenomenon that is the transfer portal. And we'll read some names that Maryland has reached out to and think we might have a shot at, or the Terps might have a shot at. Yeah, Chris Likes at Miami, the 5'7 point guard, great shooter, great player. Um, I have my thoughts on him, but we'll get into that. Kudus Wahab, the big man from Georgetown, we talked about him last week. And Noah Locke, the shooter from Florida, we also talked about him. Got Jordan Goldwire from Duke, uh, brings a lot of defense off the bench. Um, potentially guys like Noah Gurley from Furman and some, a lot of more mid-major names that the Terps have reached out to. There, there really are over a 1,000 names in the transfer portal. That's not a joke. So there are so many possibilities. Uh, names are starting to find their way somewhere else. I know Marshall Guard, Gerard West, one of the best mid-major players in the country, is going to Louisville. You got, um, who, who else do we, we have Tyson Walker is going to Michigan State. Uh, from Northwestern. So names are starting to come off the board, and that kind of relates back to the earlier discussion. If you have, have to act quickly, you need stability in the program to get guys like this. But um, just as a general discussion, who do you guys like from the transfer portal? Who do you think Maryland can get, and why? I mean, Cole Swider from Villanova yeah, just entered was, the transfer portal. I know you might say him. Sam, that's but. exactly what I was going to say. We were talking about it on the way over here. He's a great shooter. Didn't Maybe didn't play the role Villanova fans had expected going in, but Cole Swider would be great. I'm not sure if Maryland's even going to reach out or has interest but they certainly should. Um, not, not any specific names, just in the past, Tur- Mark Turgeon, assuming he's going to be back, hasn't had a whole lot of success in the transfer portal. But we were talking about this last week. When you're looking at this roster, they really need to have success, to have need to be successful in the trans- transfer portal to compete in the Big Ten next year. I mean, they're losing Wiggins, we assume. We don't know for sure. We assume Morsell is going to be gone. And there's been rumors now that Ayala, who easily could come back as a senior next year, may also be leaving and maybe play um, international ball. So we're not sure. And if that's the case, the recruiting class isn't great coming in. They're going to need to have success in the transfer portal. So Turgeon needs to know if he, he's going to be here next year and go to work. And somehow that's how we're going to have to compete next year. I like uh, a little Chris Likes action. A little 5'7 point guard. Played at the WCAC at Gonzaga College High School in D.C. Uh, just a former four-star explosive kid. If anybody watches Miami basketball, that was the guy to watch. Unfortunately, dealt with a lot of injuries this year and wasn't able to have a, a full season. But there was rumors he was going pro. That's what Jim Laranagas said. And uh, a couple days later, he ends up entering the transfer portal instead. Um, so I believe he's uh, he was a senior this year, so grad transfer now. And that would be a huge get. Uh, an explosive guard, a small kid just from the area. Maryland needs more guys from the DMV, and that I think that would be just an explosive guard, a player who's played in the Power Five in the ACC, a really good player, and coming back home, I think that's a, a pretty good story. And I don't know, just watching Miami over the past couple of years, he's been the guy that I just want to see every game, just a highlight reel waiting to happen. Yeah, I mean, he is awesome. Uh, he, does, he does get some... Uh... Some slander for being a little bit inefficient, um, which, I mean, he's 5'7". He played for Miami. He was probably the best player on the team the past couple of years, so he had, he had to be able to shoot some threes. Um, 
also Earl Timberlake from Miami was projected first rounder before the season. Uh, don't really know where he's going, but he's also another guy available for me. Uh, the guy that I want Maryland to really go after is Kudus Wahab from Georgetown. Um, averaged 12.7 and 8.2 per game this season on 59.1% shooting from the field. Uh, had 20 and 12 in the NCAA tournament game against Colorado. I mean, you just look at the roster right now, and there's a glaring need at the center spot because Galen Smith is leaving. Joel Mario is probably transferring. And who else do you have? Big man. I mean, you can't put Jarris Hamilton at the five to start the season. So for me, Kudus Wahab is a no-brainer take, and you really put the full court press on him out of any of the guys in the transfer portal to get because while he may be, he may be a little raw, um, I think he is he's a great talent and someone that could help the Terps roster immediately. He, I mean, he would start right away. Yeah, 100%. I mean, a lot of people thought Galen Smith, who was a transfer that Maryland got last year, would be productive. He wasn't especially productive, even though he was essentially really their only big man that got minutes this year, but also just a point guard. I mean, point guard and center are what we need to, what they need to replace after Cowan and Smith departed, and that's where they struggled this year. Um, Eric Ayala played point guard for the first, like, few games in the Big Ten. He got injured. Hakeem Hart started taking the role. Eric Ayala came back and started playing the two guard, which really is his natural position. He really started flourishing, um, not as the main pr- primary ball handler, but coming off screens as the two guard. So that's where he's best. So if he is back next year, he would be much better served next to a true point guard. Yeah, I think what better way than, I mean, we don't know who the coach is, so we don't know who's spieling this recruiting pitch to Kudus Wahab, but to tell him, hey, you're a 6'10 center, you're starting right away. I mean, how, like, what else do you say to a guy? And he only has two to 15 minutes down the road, too. Against some of the best big big men. Yeah, I think that's the no-brainer. Going up, I mean, the the Big Ten is the best big men in the country. Um, Garza's going to be leaving, I think. Kofi Coburn, you expect him to go to the NBA. Trace Jackson Davis to the NBA. I mean, a lot of these guys are leaving, but there's Hunter Dickinson who's going to be a four-year player who's already an All-American. And I I think that's a no-brainer, just a guy who grew up right down the road. He stayed home and went to Georgetown, but now can go to Maryland and with an opportunity to start right away. That's really a no-brainer. And I think the longer, we said, the longer Maryland waits to decide who's going to coach this team next year is going to hurt in landing recruits because nobody's committing to a school that they don't know who's going to be the coach in the next couple months. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, one last thing on the, the whole Turgeon discussion before we move on to a little bit of coaching carousel talk. Um, from Adam Zagoria of Zag's blog, uh, he tweeted, source on Maryland coach Mark Turgeon in Oklahoma, quote, He's not interested in moving back to the Midwest. This is where he wants to live, and this is where he wants to retire, unquote. Can't blame him. Um, I mean, he's a great coach. In my opinion, he's a great man. Obviously, the majority of the Maryland fan base has been upset with his, I guess, underachieving at Maryland in, what, 10 years? Um, Only one Sweet 16, but I think he's a good man, a good coach. And I think at this point, a school-friendly extension is probably uh, in the best interest of the university. Yeah, I mean, Levine, what, real quick, just what Levine said earlier, there's been a ton of reports coming out. Who knows what's true and what's not? And if that is true, maybe it is, but who knows if it's his decision if he wants to stay here or not. So. Right, so we will move on from Turgeon and the transfer portal to a little bit of Indiana Big Ten hoops discussion. Mike Woodson hired at Indiana, um, obviously, 
an alum of the university. He's never coached in college, 63 years old. He did play for Bob Knight from 1976 to 1980, has spent his entire coaching career in the NBA. They pried him away from the Knicks as an assistant a few days ago. Um, Sam, I know you love the hire. Uh, go ahead and give your thoughts on it. Yeah, I do love the hire. Um, I, I tweeted this, and I really believe it's true that there was a, there was an article that our friend is going to get another shout out for second week around Brandon Simberg had a great piece about the lack of recruiting. They develop players well, maybe four-year players, and that's why the Big Ten has a lot of success, but maybe why their success, they don't have a ton of success in March, is because they're not recruiting these five-star, four-star recruits in the way that Duke, Kentucky, and the Villanova, and these other blue blood schools are. And I think Mike Woodson can easily fix that. I mean, the article talked about how coaches are a big problem in that, just in terms of the recruiting, and Jawan Howard has started to change that trend at Michigan. And I think Mike Woodson is going to do that. In the NBA, he was I thought he was always a good coach. Maybe he'd have some of the best situations as a head coach. But I thought he would be bet, always better at relating to younger college players. And I think that's going to be true in Indiana. I think he's going to be a great recruiter, which is more than half the job as a college coach. And so I, I think it's a great out-of-the-box hire for Indiana. And he's going to be successful there and bring that Hoosiers program around. Yeah, stealing him away from my Knicks. Tough scene, but... Wood, Mike Woodson's been there, for, been with New York for a while, and just came back. I think maybe this year, or not, if not last year, as an assistant. But um, I like the hire. I'm interested to see how he recruits at the college level, and I think the spiel might be how many NBA All Stars he's coached over the last thirty whatever yeah. years. There's a ton of them if you go back and look. So a guy with that much experience at the next level might help a young recruit looking to play at a very historic university for basketball and uh to to say these are so many different all-stars in the nba that i coached i'll get you there you'll go to the next level something like that will probably be pretty appealing so that's my biggest uh interest is to see how mike woodson recruits in bloomington right i mean you look at indiana obviously a great great program has not made the tournament since 2016 so I look at this as a very crucial era in Indiana basketball. Do you want to return to being the blue blood type of program that you are, or do you want to be a middle-of-the-pack uh, Big Ten team? Which, I mean, it's a big job for Mike Woodson, 63, uh, rooting for him, first opportunity in college. will be interesting to see how he recruits for the first time at age 63 relating to kids that are 45 years younger than him um, to come and play for him in Indiana. But. I, never, ahead, I didn't yeah. realize he was that old, but I, I still I don't really think that that should matter. I mean, there's very few people in the college game who are connected to the NBA as him, and isn't that everyone's angle in college? I mean, to make it to the NBA, so that's that's like Matt said, that's the recruiting pitch. Absolutely. Um, so we'll see what happens with Mike Woodson. Uh, Indiana fans, I know, were very happy with the hire. Outside people on Twitter probably weren't as happy with it, but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, the season starts in November, so. You can talk for as long as you want about what's going to happen with Mike Woodson in Indiana, but you can only see when his team takes the floor in November. We'll move on from coaching discussion to actual real games that happened March Madness. Elite 8 recap. We'll start with the first game that happened on Monday night. Number 2 Houston beating number 12 Oregon State 67-61. The Cougars make their first Final Four since the Five Slamma Jamma era in 1984, that devastating loss to NC State, which is... Maybe the best 30-30 30 30 of all time, in my opinion. 100%. Go check that one out, Survive in Advance. But um, 
Marcus Sasser at 20, Quentin Grimes at 18 in the win. Great backcourt. Kelvin Sampson, redemption story. Getting to the Final Four after dealing with allegations at Indiana uh, over 10 years ago. Uh, I mean, it's good for that program of, of Houston and a, a great win over Oregon State. Good for Houston, but this is the most fraudulent Final Four team uh, I can remember <laughs> in my lifetime. Um, this, this Houston team is good. I thought they were overranked from the beginning. I mean, they're... If you look at their their path, they didn't play they're, as a two seed. They didn't play a single, a uh, single digit seed. Only to team to ever to do that. That's that's absurd. And I mean, they're in the so it's not like. And you look at the regular season. All right, they're in the AAC. There's only one other tournament team in Wichita State that was barely in the tournament, and then another good team in that was Memphis, who won the NIT. Congratulations to them. But <laughs> I guess. But um. <laughs> but so like you look at this Houston team, and then they're they're out of con- their non conference schedule early on in the year. They had a nice win in Texas Tech. Like in, in, I think it was November, early December, very early on in the season. And they don't have a ton of other like huge wins. Like This just isn't a Final Four caliber team to me. I think they're going to get, we'll talk about the Baylor matchup later, but I think it's not even a question of who's going to win that one. This Houston team is just not, like when you think of a Final Four team, you think of who's dominated college basketball throughout the entire season or who made a miraculous run to get there, like UCLA. This Houston team, they had a lot of wins. They were taking care of teams that they were better than. But they didn't have they, – they're not that impressive of a team to me. They have some talent. I don't think they're that impressive. I don't – they're the most fraudulent Final Four team I've seen. I think it's very fitting that Kelvin Sampson gets back to the Final Four when it's the Indiana tournament, basically. The Houston Redemption. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> um, but that second half was terrible for Houston. They almost blew the game. But yeah. the only thing to be proud of there if you're Kelvin Sampson is the resiliency and just dealing with adversity for the first time in the tournament, it seemed like. I mean, they got the easiest path they could possibly get. And obviously nothing's a given. We've seen so many different upsets. You still have to win. But the the ability to fight off adversity at the end when you have a big lead. I don't remember how big the lead was. Maybe 17 or something. And they come back just to, to be able to continue to close it out after that is what they should be proud of. Um, a long Final Four drought, getting back there. Is it time to start saying that Texas is the best basketball state in college? Maybe. I don't know. But it's going to be Baylor against where, Houston where you, in the Final you, Four. Where do you so. see their, their flagship university? Oof. Lost, lost in the first For, round. Then. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but it, No, it, it, it was a great basketball state this year. This year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think they're also pretty fraudulent. I had them losing to Rutgers, and they should have lost that game in the round of 32. Rutgers, I don't know. The Big Ten stunk. So they blew the game. It happens in the tournament. But Houston's ability to, to not fully blow that game in the second half was, was good. And, uh, <laughs> fully blow. They almost did, but they were resilient. They, they went by six. So credit to Oregon State. And yeah, the you got, you got, you got to I give mean, a lot of credit. Oof. Unbelievable. Run. In that one. And, I mean, I, I don't um, – Houston – doesn't control who they pay, who they play on their path to the Final Four, so I'm not faulting Houston for it, but at, but at the same time, it's just not as impressive as other Final Four runs. Right, but I mean, you look at Houston; they'll hang that Final Four banner regardless. Sure, and then they, and, they and, deserve and, it. And they but, deserve it. But so. it doesn't make them not right. But uh, we'll move on to the team that they will play their Elite Eight matchup. Um, they beat Arkansas 81 to 72. Really didn't feel that close though throughout the whole game. Um, Macy O.T. just had a huge game for Baylor. Um, you got to give credit to Arkansas and Eric Musselman. Really, they came back in every single game, just took punches and came back, made it a game. 
Um, but Macy Oteague, 22 points, 8 for 18 from the field, 3 for 7 from 3, hit a, hit a few clutch threes. I mean, Davion Mitchell, 12 points, but that guy's one of the best defenders in the country, if not the best. He defends you like, like white on rice. And just like Jared Butler, uh, who also had 14 points, we've been talking about that three-headed monster all college basketball season. I mean, you look at those three players combining for 48 points, I mean, that'll, that'll do it. So uh, Baylor advances to the Final Four uh, for the first time since 1950, snapping a 71-year drought. Um, happy for Scott Drew, too. He's a great coach, one of the best uh, America has to offer. Yeah, that, that's their big three, and Jared Butler is just incredible to watch every time. He's so impressive, and especially in half-court on offense. That's, that's what I love most about him. But the mo- thing that's impressed me the most about this Baylor run is they haven't, like, dominated teams the way Gonzaga have. They've been throwing punches after punch, and they just keep countering. I mean, they were down in that Sweet 16 matchup to Villanova. They were down somewhat big at first, and they were down for most of that first half and the beginning of the second half. But they didn't give up. Arkansas threw a bunch of punches their way after Baylor had started the game out hot, and they didn't, they didn't give up. I mean, they just kept punching back. This Baylor team has been tested on this on this run, and and they're incredible. And like people have been saying all year, I mean, people count them out for somewhat good reason. After their they came off their COVID absence, they had a couple bad losses, and they didn't look like that same Baylor defense that was so dominant through the first couple couple months of the season. But they they're back to that, and they deserve to be in the Von Four, and it should be a great matchup. I mean, I I think they've been the second best team in the country all year. They might be one of the best defensive teams I've ever seen, especially with Davion Mitchell. I mean, that is – the way he just defends on the ball is unbelievable. I can't even put it into words. And it's so fun to watch. She's, all three of those guys, all three guards, Macy Oteague, Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, they've all turned into some of my favorite players to watch this year. And we'll, we'll preview the championship when we when we get to that. But I think watching those guys try to defend Gonzaga's guards would be just a complete – It'd be a film. It'd be a, they'd make a 30 for 30 out of that. The best offensive team ever against the, the best defensive team ever. But, yeah, I think they're, they they get off to hot starts in the first half. And even with a slow second half, it's it's a lot to, to try and come back against them. Um, and when I saw that graphic go up that they had to make the Final Four since 1950, I didn't know that. And that was – that shocked me because they've been a good program. And now they finally get to – what matters in the final four. And I think they want to win it this year too. And they, they can, they have the ability to do it with those guards. It's some of the best guards. I think Macy Oteague though is the best story. Having one division one offer out of high school, UNC Asheville goes there as a two time conference player of the year or uh, first team, whatever he was in their conference and comes to Baylor now. And is just, has the ugliest hitch in his shot I've ever seen in the catch and shoot. Somehow, somehow, he somehow doesn't have it when he's on the dribble though. I don't, I don't know how he shoots the ball, but he was very electric, eight for 18, 22 points. And I think that all those guys are just so impressive. And then Chachua also had some crazy blocks at the end. Um, and they're so fun. They're just every, they move the ball offensively very well and there's always somebody open it seems like just a fun team to watch and I think they're going to to end up getting to the championship game but this team is oof, defensively it's nobody wants to face that yeah um we will wrap up the last two elite eight games from yesterday before we go into an in-depth review of the final four 
Uh, we'll talk about the West Regional Championship game. You got number one Gonzaga at just absolutely steamrolling USC, eighty-five to sixty-six. I mean, USC is a very talented team with the uh, probably the number two pick in the draft in Evan Mobley, and the game was just never close. I mean, the, the Zags reached their second Final Four, thirty and zero. True Timmy with twenty-three, Suggs and Kispert each with eighteen. I mean, that big three is special. I mean, you look at. Suggs and Kispert will be two top ten or two definitely lottery picks, and in my opinion, Drew Timmy's a pro. I mean, we'll see we'll see where he goes in the draft, but he's he's also a pleasure to watch. Uh, very, very just fundamental and athletic big man who uh, I mean I saw him get a couple steals at the beginning of the game yesterday, some crazy finishes around the rim. You don't really see that from from big man, so I love Timmy's game. But uh, what what did you guys see from that game yesterday, which really was was had blood written all over it. Yeah, I mean, this Gonzaga team is just beyond impressive. I mean, we're young, but I think we all agree this is the best college basketball team we've ever seen. Um, I think older people who have been around way longer than us have, have said that same thing. This is the best college basketball team they've ever seen. You just, like, when you have so many different weapons on offense that it can be someone's down night. It could be Kisper's down night. or And we saw it was Timmy's huge night, especially in the first half against USC. I mean, they're so impressive. They have so many weapons on offense. They move the ball so well. Their pace of play is incredible. There's really just no flaws they have on offense. And Some people thought they would be challenged by USC's size, and you could say Evan Mobley was a little disappointing. I don't really think that affects his draft stock at all. I think he's going to be a great NBA player. But they, they just had no problem inside and out. Gonzaga is incredible. They've steamrolled everyone to get here, and 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 they're here, and they're, they're, they're not done yet. There were some fools that actually thought USC would win that fools. game. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, how? How do you? I don't this know. Is, this, who, is, this is the best college team in our lifetime. I got I some they buddies gotta get the from home. To show for it, but. I got some buddies from home that are telling me that they are not that good because they don't play a real conference. Okay. Look who they play in their non-conference yeah, schedule. They win every game by double digits. Yeah, we'll just, just schedule the number one, the number two, the number three, the number four. <laughs> they play everyone in the non-conference. Like, <laughs> Like, if right. you watch this team all year, they're so impressive. I don't get, like, how you could ever bet against them. It's it's actually, like, basketball, I don't like watching blowout games, but it's so much fun when they play, regardless of what to score. They could be winning by 40, and I love watching it because the way, their offense is so incredible. Oh it's, I completely agree. <laughs> I think, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, Corey Kispert's one of my favorite players, too. I love guards that can shoot the ball and defend well. And he's turning into a lottery pick, in my opinion. I think Jalen Suggs is or making a case to maybe be the number one pick at this point. That's a hot take, but he's a top five pick. And you just put those guys together. They complement each other so well. And what's most impressive, other than what Sam said with like having, if one player has an off night, you have guys that are dropping 23 to step up. It doesn't matter who it is. But I think what's most impressive is the patience that Corey Kispert brings when he's scoring. And sometimes, especially yesterday, even this whole tournament, you, I just haven't really noticed him being the guy that they're going to offensively. And then somehow he ends up with 18 points last night. Just he's not forcing shots. He's passing the ball. They're always finding the right option. And it doesn't matter who's scoring for them. They don't care. It's very unselfish play, which is somewhat uncharacteristic of – a team that has this many good players, you'd think that their personalities would get in the way. They want to be the one that goes number one in the draft. They want to be making the most money in the NBA. They want to be the one that's the hero in the game or whatever. But we just don't see that. And credit to Mark's view for that. I think this team, if they win, is the best ever that I've seen at least. And, uh, I, yeah, you just – Ben, you mentioned Drew Timmy's play as a big. It's, it's 
I think he's one of the most electrifying players to watch, especially with that handlebar of a mustache that he has he's, going he's on. He's unbelievable. <laughs> and one one last point on Gonzaga before we recap uh, the UCLA game from last night and preview the Final Four. I mean, they they have a guy like Andrew Nembhard as as their fourth option. Who I was, was just gonna say if that. he if he shot as much as the other guys did, he averaged twenty a game. We were we were talking about it yesterday. We were he's, watching the game then, and we were just like, this guy's gonna be the player next year for them. He's, and like yeah. and he's he's been like dishing out. I think he leads the team in assists. He's he's on route. And he's gonna be the guy for next time. He's just gonna be incredible. He's an All SEC transfer, and he's he came off the bench for Gonzaga earlier in the season. It's, I it's, mean, it's what like. And you're telling me their conference isn't good. I don't care if their conference isn't good if you have an all-SEC player coming off the bench. Yeah. Come on. And Matt, you just, real quick, you just talked about their unselfishness. I mean, people like don't love to give as much credit as they should to Mark Few because he's had some really talented teams and they've had some upsets in the tournament. And they, they haven't, they've been to the championship, but they haven't gotten over that hump. Maybe this is the year. We'll see. But like you have to give a ton of credit for Mark Few for getting these guys to buy in, to just always make the extra pass, play so unselfishly. I mean, that's all Mark Few. And regardless of if, if you say he hasn't gotten over the hump yet, he deserves a ton of credit. And you see other teams with a lot of players that can score, a lot of players that want to score. And we see it with Maryland sometimes. You'll see Eric Ayala dribble at the top of the key and just take a shot that is a good look, but it's not the best one. Mm-hmm. They don't do that. And it, you you rarely see Corey Kisper just chuck up a, a bad shot or yeah. get a bad look. You see him catch the ball, and if he wants to shoot it, he's going to shoot it if he's the best option to score. And that's why they have one of the most special offenses statistically, but also visually. They are just, as, as we all said, you can watch them win by 100, and it'd be, it'd be fun to watch. Yeah, Absolutely. Um We'll do some more Gonzaga talk later in the show, I'm sure of it, and we will move to the UCLA game from last night, the East Regional Final. I mean, UCLA just it's a huge upset, uh, beating Michigan 51-49, pretty much like controlled the game. Like They held Michigan to 49 points. How often do you see that? Stifling defense, and you look at Johnny Juzang, who's really been unbelievable, uh, 28 points against Michigan, playing with the, with the hurt ankle for the, for the past few weeks, but... Um, just, I'm really happy for Mick Cronin, great coach. I mean, they, sh- they maybe gave too much airtime to his father uh, <laughs> during the tournament. But, I mean, he overcame an injury from his best player in Chris Smith towards ACL in January. And you have Jalen Hill, who came off the bench, left the team for personal reasons. And he's, he's gone from first four to final four, the second team to ever do it. Shout out BCU 2011. But um, just an unbelievable run for UCLA, who, I mean, we know the show will end uh, on Saturday, but a great run. You got to tip your cap. I mean, they've they've won five games to get to this point. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have them beating Michigan State in the playing game. And the fact that they came from the playing game and now they're in the final four, beat the one seed, beat the two seed, beat everyone they had to beat. I mean, it's one of those miraculous Cinderella runs, and I mean, they've been great. And Michigan. Like, this team is just a completely different team without Isaiah Livers, and it was impressive that their run even to get to this point. I thought this was an ugly game yesterday. I mean, it was probably the best game of the weekend, but just in terms of offensively, it was was pretty ugly from from both teams. But I do think that there was, like, it was Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and then the rest of the college basketball was complete drop-off. And you can say, oh, Michigan didn't get there, fine. But, like, with Isaiah Livers, it's a completely different team. I do think it was... Maybe it was Gonzaga, Baylor 1A, 1B, uh, Michigan 2, and then there was a big drop-off. But Michigan was right there. Just the end of it wasn't great execution, how they finished that game yesterday. I mean, Eli Brooks got got the offensive rebound off a Wagner miss, and 
he kind of just threw something up with eight seconds. He should have brought it back out. And Mike Smith had a good look down the stretch. I mean, Wagner obviously didn't shoot the ball incredibly well. They didn't deserve to win that game yesterday. UCLA did, but that doesn't take away from what Michigan did this year. I think my hot take from a couple months ago just got solidified by saying Michigan was a fluke. But well, you didn't say I, they were I getting past the Sweet 16. I did say that. They got, I did say that. Right, so they got one game past there. Okay. Was that before Liver's injury? No, that was well before Liver's injury. Is, I mean, you, you it doesn't count. It doesn't count. Yeah. But we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you some credit. Is there any way they don't go to Final Four if Liver's are still there? I mean, there's no way they don't beat I don't know. I mean, like, yeah. It's a tournament. But, I think it happens. Yeah. But, I mean, they made it's it a score. Yeah. Yeah. Hypothetical. Of course, of course. I think when you – I mean, I don't know the exact number. I could pull it up. But they missed – probably five layups that would have put them up yeah. in the last eight minutes or something. You can't miss shots like that. Um, and it, was, it wasn't it was just one. It was all of them. They were they were just not finishing around the rib. When do you see Brooks miss that, that put-back layup? It just like, seemed like he kind of chucked it up. He had time. But. And to see one of the best players in the, in the Big Ten, in my opinion, Franz Wagner, get a wide-open look from three with 12 seconds left and just completely airball it. I mean, when do you see that for the win? Yeah, just an air ball on a he's shot. One, well, one for ten on night, I think. Yeah, yeah one for ten. One for night. ten from the floor. Zero for four from three. Just didn't get any legs into his three point shot to win the game. And you get missed free throws at the end too from UCLA from Juzhang, and you get what six seconds to draw up a good play, and. It's Mike Smith running down the floor. Mike Smith taking the last shot? Come on. It wasn't a bad look, too. It was a phenomenal look. Don't get me wrong. He should have hit that. And he would have hit it against Maryland in the Big Ten tournament because no, that was the best game I've ever seen anybody play. <laughs> but you you got you to gotta draw something up, an off-ball screen for – I'd still go to Wagner there. I think he's your best shooter. Yeah. Even though he's one for ten, you got to go to the guy that you – I mean, you gotta. I don't know. I don't know what you do. Downhill too. I mean, they were down two. Yeah, they didn't need. They didn't need that three. I think like they they looked like they had momentum late in that game, had control. I think they would have been satisfied going overtime. Listen, if if they had hit any of those layups to go up, or if they had hit that, if Mike Smith hit that shot, or if Wagner even hit the shot before that, we'd be saying how great they closed out the game. But they didn't finish those shots, and now we're saying that it was terrible. So. Listen, I know nothing about basketball. Jawan Howard's a much better coach than me. So whatever they want to draw up, that's fine. But I just don't think that is the best shot in the situation. Mike Smith running downhill off the dribble, just chalking up a three on the left side. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think how, how much time? I mean, there was like shot that? Yeah. over three seconds when he got well, I think the more questionable call was when they got the ball with .5 seconds left. It was a three. Like just, I, just I lob, lob it up to Dickinson. Like yes, but they know like that's what they're expecting. So they ironically that's what they're expecting. He's the, the biggest paint. guy on the floor. But like that, ironically, they had Dickinson inbounding. Yeah, well, that, that, that was. I mean, that's any completely sense limited to play. But that at least use him as a decoy like, to think that you might go instead. Maybe, like, yeah. Again, that three wasn't a bad look. Like yeah. he got off with time, and it really right. wasn't a bad look. It looked like you know. No, I don't get the shot, but not what I would have done personally. One last point on Michigan for me: Franz Wagner, terrible game last night. One for ten, four points. I still like him as a prospect. I think you have to give him some credit for playing a little out of position and adjusting to a new role without Isaiah Livers, which he was really just thrown into. Um, but, I mean, good run for Michigan going to the Elite Eight without Livers. Yeah. But it is it is UCLA going to their 19th Final Four. Absolutely. Now, do you guys think Livers goes to the NBA after this? I was going to bring up Michigan's future in a second. Yeah. I do think Livers is going to the yeah, and I think the roster might look a little he's different. Got, next he turns year. 23 in July. He's got. He's got to. Yeah, he's got to go. Yeah, it's either now or never. And I mean, he's proven it. Like I think he could be a lottery pick. Late livers. Late depends late. how healthy he is. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But like maybe maybe just outside the lottery. I think I think he's like a 
his body is a decent NBA prospect. Yeah. But, I mean, we'll see. But just in terms of moving forward for Michigan, um, I think Ben had a tweet about how long it's been since the Big Ten has won, like, 21 years, 22 years since the Big Ten has had a still crazy that Maryland is the last Big Ten program to win a national championship and join the conference 12 years after winning it. Yeah. I mean, the, the conference title drought can officially drink now. It's, tw- it's been 21 years. For a conference like the Big it's unreal. But Yeah, yeah. but anyway, anyway, to that point, I think Michigan and John Howard are, is the team to get over that hump. If I was if, if there's anyone I, I feel so good too. enough about recruiting in terms of where that program stands right now, it would be Michigan to end that, end that drought. I thought this year even might might have been that year, but Dickinson, we said it, we expect him to be a four-year player there. I think they're, they're going to be set for a while. They're going to be on top of the Big Ten and on top of the entire country for the next few years. One thing I think that's two things I think are crazy that are very just random thoughts I'm having right now. Mm-hmm. Michigan wins the regular season title, but walks out Losing in the Big Ten tournament and getting to the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. I think they completely underachieved in the postseason, but... Is it anarchy? Uh, nope. It's just college basketball. basketball. It, that's, <laughs> that's the problem here. It's it's The Big Ten always has teams late. The Michigan's gone to the final several times in our lifetime. Michigan State's been to the Final Four. Uh, Wisconsin went to the championship game, what, six, seven years ago? I don't even remember. Yeah, Frank Kaminsky, but... I just I don't know what the the issue is with these. T- I think they just get beat up so much in the regular season that they run out of gas towards the end. I don't know, but and then also my second thought: UCLA being a Cinderella is just something I thought I'd never say. Right. I still can't group those words together. <laughs> I'll say great run, but I, I can't do it. They're they're just like one of the most storied programs ever. Ever, literally, in, ever. Col- in, in college sports, not just basketball. In any sport, I think. Yeah, literally, that's what I'm saying. Any yeah. pro. College, anything sports, yeah, you think of UCLA basketball. I would have thought it was even longer ago. 2008 was the last Final Four. Was that Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook? Yeah, I think so. And that was a great team. Yeah. And Bahamute, Nick We Collins. missed out on the Lonzo Ball Final Four. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was never happening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to actually previewing the Final Four games. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for the first game. I think it'll be a better game than people think. The first national semifinal, you got number two Houston out of the Midwest at 28-3. Versus number one Baylor at twenty six and two, champions of the South Region. Baylor's favored by five. The game will be on CBS at five fourteen p.m. Eastern Time. I'm looking at this game. Top three Ken Palm teams. Houston made their way up to three. Uh, the mo- their model only projects a one point Baylor win. And in my opinion, the headline for this game is Baylor's electric offense, third in the country in adjusted efficiency, versus Houston's stifling defense, eighth in the country in adjusted efficiency. So I think those are two. Great offensive and defensive units, respectively, and I think they'll face off against each other pretty well. Um, you guys can can give your thoughts about the game, and then, then we'll do some predictions uh, straight up and against the spread. Yeah, you're talking about Baylor's electric offense, but I mean, what, like, what about their defense too? Like, yeah, I mean, Houston has a stifling yeah. defense. Like, I don't even know the Ken Palm projections where Baylor's defense is, but it has to it's be. It's shockingly 28. That's I don't know how it's that low. That's unbelievable. What I was gonna say, <laughs> and um, I was gonna say it's the best, but it's that's uh, it's twenty eight right now in adjusted defensive efficiency. That's unbelievable to me. But regardless, <laughs> like I don't even see this being a game. This line when it came out, I was like, I was taught discussing it with someone like, oh, what do you think this line's gonna be close to double digits? Maybe it was unbelievable. It was five. I said earlier, Houston's a fraudulent final four team. They haven't bit. They haven't beat anyone to be here. 
they haven't played anyone of any even close to Baylor's stature to get to the Final Four. I don't really care what the analytics say. I expect Baylor to blow these, blow Houston's doors down. I think overall, overall it's going to be an underwhelming Final Four. We're just on a collision course, like we really have been all year to get Baylor Gonzaga. But yeah, I don't, I don't expect this to be a game. I didn't understand five at all. All right, first thoughts on CBS. Why is this the first game when it should be the primetime game? Two West Coast teams. I mean, there's got to uh, be reasoning. I don't know. I don't know. The second thing, who starts a game at 5.14 p.m.? It's always the most And 8.35. Like, I don't know. It's severe issues. Severe issues. We have no idea what these guys do. What most people complain about is that there's an hour between the game times. Like, it's like, all right, we watch the first game. What do we do? Sit around for an hour, and then we watch. <laughs> got to get gotta get some nachos in the system, get, yeah. get some food, <laughs> go to the bathroom. Um, I, I, I think Baylor's blowing the doors off them, too, because... I'll, I'll go against my what everybody says about Gonzaga not playing anybody, but Houston does not face Big Twelve competition all year. Um, that's why their record's really good. Listen, they they had the easiest path in terms of seeding ever to get to the Final Four, all double digit seeds, and now they're gonna have to face Goliath pretty much, yep. the second best team in the nation without question, and. I don't know how Baylor's defense is ranked that low on Kempom, but when you talk about Baylor's offense going against Houston's defense, I think that's going to be, like Ben mentioned, the real storyline here. But when you talk about Houston's offense going against Baylor's defense, I don't think it's close. Not at all. And Baylor's defense is going to be way too good for that. Um, but we'll, we'll see. It's going to be a battle of the guards like it usually is. And I, I, I think Baylor's are just – way too good, and this is their year to get to the championship. Yeah, I mean, for me, I look at this. This might be the best uh, backcourt matchup of the whole entire tournament with uh, Grimes and Sasser have been one of the best backcourts in the country all season long. And then you got Butler, Teague, and Mitchell, the, the three-headed monster uh, guards for Baylor. Um, both teams do a great job uh, cleaning up the offensive glass. Top seven, both of them in the nation. Uh, but, I mean, I guess I'll make the first pick for this one. I think... Houston does keep it close for the majority of the game. I think it will be a great game. I think Baylor pulls away. They cover the five and uh, eventually play in the national championship. Um, yeah, I don't even know if we need to do predictions for either of these games. I think it's pretty obvious what we're both going to pick. But you look at like a one versus Baylor as a one and Houston versus two and the line only being five. Like, all right, if Houston upsets them, it wouldn't be that big of an upset. But this would be a monumental upset to me. I would be absolutely shocked. Houston somehow pulls this off. I expect Baylor to easily cover the minus five. And I don't even know if we're going to get picks, but that would be my 100% would be my pick. And yeah, so Baylor in the national championship. I'm taking them also with the spread. Um, I, I just, I'll keep saying it. When you have Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Macy Oteague, your recipe for success is just so much better than anybody else's. Um, Grimes has been good. Drew has been good. But I think Baylor just has too many weapons beyond the three guys. And Vital, um, just Chachua, we mentioned, just so many guys that can just come in and, and impact the game. It goes well beyond the three of them. Um, but when it is the three of them, even, it's it's just too hard for other teams. And credit to Houston for not getting upset facing all those double-digit seeds. But I, I think when you haven't played a, a team like this, I know it's a tournament, so every game you have to win it, but... When you haven't played a team like Baylor this entire time, 
and it, that that is just going to be they're going to be in for a rude awakening. I I think Baylor is going to come out and just be up double digits within five minutes. I think they're just going to be right there. Obviously, it's a game of runs. Houston's going to come back, like Ben said, expect it to be close, but I think Baylor pulls away late from when they start the game and then when they finish it, they're going to be up big. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully a good game. Uh, we don't want to see two Final Four blowouts because I know we all think this one will be. The second national semifinal, number 11 UCLA, 22-9 from the first four to the Final Four champions of the East region against number one Gonzaga, 30-0, and chasing history, champions of the West. Gonzaga's favored by 14 in this one. Uh, I mean, that's got to be the biggest spread it in is, Final Four history. It's the largest yeah. spread ever in a Final Unreal. Four championship. That game's on CBS, 8.34 p.m., um, UCLA has a 3-2 series advantage. Uh, they won the last time the teams met in 2015. And obviously, if you're a college basketball fan, you know the Adam Morrison crying game when uh, Gonzaga choked away the game against UCLA in the mid-2000s. Um, I mean, I think that'll be one of the storylines here, just from a historical perspective. Uh, UCLA's had a magical run, but this Gonzaga team is different. I mean, it takes, it takes a ring to see it, but in my opinion, the best team in our lifetime. Yeah, we talked about Gonzaga at length. I mean, we don't need to get into them too much. I mean, this 14, like I just said it, but the largest spread ever in a semi in a Final Four matchup or a championship game, that's absurd that the Gonzaga could be favored that much. Maybe it's more of a reflection on UCLA than anything. I mean, you see these story lot these Cinderella teams often come to an end in blowout fashion when they face elite competition in the Final Four. Not that UCLA hasn't, because they had on their path to get here. But uh, Gonzaga is easily going to handle them. I don't know if they're going to cover 14. It's just so many points. I mean, all their spreads have been huge up to this point. But I certainly think they're going to win by double digits. They're going to control the entire game. UCLA's, UCLA's run will come to an end Saturday night. And like I said earlier, we're going to we're gonna get that Gonzaga-Baylor matchup that we were robbed of earlier in the season because of coronavirus. But really looks like a blessing in disguise at this point. I'm glad we were not going to get that matchup. We didn't get that matchup, assuming we can get get it in the national championship. Um, so yeah, Gonzaga easily. Yeah, I don't think much needs to be said, but Ken Palm has Gonzaga winning by twelve. 86 percent chance on a win. I think this run by UCLA, nobody expected. I picked Michigan State in that first four game. Um, and somehow they've just defeated Michigan State, Michigan, Alabama, BYU. Got an easy game against Abilene Christian, but they've done a phenomenal job. Credit to them. I think Gonzaga is just too good, and there's it's they're going to play a track meet with themselves. They're going to see how many points they can score in this game, and I think covering 14 is going to be hard, but like Sam said, I, I expect them to win by double digits. Um, I, I would expect it to be – they'll probably be up 20 the whole game like they have been, and then maybe UCLA will get some points at the end when they get lazy on defense, but – uh, I, I just their offense is it's just unbelievable and UCLA is just unfortunate to have to face that I mean if it was Houston UCLA I think that would have been a different story maybe for the Bruins but they get Gonzaga Tough. unfortunate uh, you can give me UCLA with a 2 nothing lead and then Gonzaga winning by about 25 points yeah. <laughs> I don't think this one's going to be too close that'll be the largest lead of the whole game um, Gonzaga is just too good too powerful and uh, I like Gonzaga huge in this one, which means we but we all three of us expect to see the Gonzaga Baylor matchup we were robbed of uh, in December. Um, I mean, thank God we might get it. It seems like they've been on a collision course literally the whole entire season. 
um, consensus the, the top two teams in the country pretty much all season long. And they were ranked that way in the AP poll for the majority of the 17 weeks, I think it was. But um, who would you guys have in, in the potential so, Gonzaga Valor National Championship? So assuming we do get, and hoping we do get that National Championship, I think Gonzaga's going to win it. They were my pick in my bracket before uh, when the brackets came out. I mean, they were my pick throughout the entire year. They are too good this year. They are the best team I've ever watched, ever, best college basketball team I've ever watched. I think they're going to solidify that with the national title. It's going to be a great matchup. I'm really excited between Gonzaga and Baylor. I, I would assume Gonzaga would be favored by like two and a half, three, three and a half points maybe. Um, I think Gonzaga would, like, it would be a great game. I think Gonzaga would win by like around four or five. Gonzaga's offense is just too good. Even for Baylor's defense, they, they can score at will on anyone. I think they can lock down Baylor's offense when they need to. And this Gonzaga team has too many weapons. It could be, we talked about it earlier, it could be someone's off night, and they're still going to find a way to score the basketball. Gonzaga will be the national championships, national champions when we record next, next week. I'll just say this. I've been rooting for Goliath this entire tournament. I'm not the biggest fan of Cinderella runs. I'll be honest. I don't like watching Abilene Christian lose in the second round or watching Oral Roberts defeat Ohio State and then get out in the tournament where they go out in the Sweet 16. Yeah. I mean, it's it's to a point where they just run out of steam and they don't have it in them to, to win the whole thing. But I'm expecting two Goliaths in the championship game in Gonzaga and Baylor. We said it all year. It was them versus the field, and I picked them. Um, yep. And I don't think there was anybody close. Michigan was close for a little bit. Illinois might have been. But we saw how that played out. And now, hoping that it's just them two in the championship game, I think that would be one of the more fun championships we've ever seen. Um, not really much of the star power, though, in terms of, I mean, obviously Jalen Suggs. But when you talk about just one-and-done players, there's so many different times where you'd think Duke would get there. Just These are guys that are just playing together. And I think that's the biggest thing. We talked about the unselfishness of both sides that's that's why they're here in this position now, and I'm taking Gonzaga over Baylor. I they say defense wins championships, but it's it's a one game thing. It's it's the offense for Gonzaga is just too good, and I just can't bet against the best team in the country. Well, I'm not betting on it, but I can't pick against the best team in the country, even if it's Baylor. So I'll pick Gonzaga probably by ten. I think they win by double wow, digits. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, the fouls me, late will get yeah. them double digits. To me, you got you got the two best offenses in the country, or two out of the three best. Uh, Gonzaga's one, Baylor's three. Um, the key to this one for me is Baylor's the best three-point shooting team in the country at forty-one point one percent. If they if they can match that mark, they will have a very very good chance to win this game. However, I do not think Gonzaga's offense will bow down to anyone, no matter how good the defense is. I just think. Kispert, Suggs, and Timmy are like a lock to combine for 50 in a game that, that, that could be played in the upper 80s in, in, or in the 80s. But give me Gonzaga close. I mean, if they play, what do you think What do you think the number will be on the spread? Four? Four or five? What do you mean? Gonzaga versus Bell? Oh, yeah, I said around three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah. Um, give, I don't give like me, Gonzaga give me, to cover that. I think that game's going to be close. I really think it's going to be back and forth. I think whoever is winning with around two minutes left will uh, – will extend uh, their lead towards the end. I like yeah. Gonzaga by probably six if these two teams were to meet. Um, last question before we wrap up the show. Gonzaga-Baylor, would that be the most anticipa- anticipated championship game in our lifetime? 
it's it's it depends how you look at the word anticipate. I mean, I saw this debate happening all over Twitter. Um, yes, in terms in terms of like before the season, it was like all right, these are the two best teams or two of the top teams. As the season went on through a couple weeks, it was like all right, Gonzaga Baylor, Gonzaga Baylor. John Rothstein was tweeting in like end of November, early December, like it's Gonzaga Baylor, then everyone else, and uh, throughout the entire year. Like yes, these like yes, it would be the most anticipated championship of all times. Like these two teams need to play; they're by far the two best teams in the country. No one's even close. It's them two. The question was, them two are the field. So yes, I think in terms of this, just this season, it's the most anticipated ever. But in terms of like from a bigger picture perspective, like it's not a whole lot of star power, like Matt said earlier, like some not like the best prospects that you could find in a matchup, and it's not like two historically great. Programs. I mean, Gonzaga's been here, been a great program for years now, but they're not like two programs with a ton of history. So from a bigger picture perspective, no. But like when you look at it just this season, all year it's been Gonzaga, Baylor, Gonzaga, Baylor. So yes, yes, from that point of view. I'll be honest. I think people are still overlooking Gonzaga sometimes. When you talk about three All-Americans on the same team, I mean, I get feels of Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish. But better than but for some reason, for some reason, it feels like people think that that was better just because Zion was the best thing since LeBron and R.J. Barrett is a top. Oh, so you, slap, you slap that big blue D in front of him. <laughs> you know it's Duke. Like, it's, but they are better NBA players. Yeah, that, that's that's the. So, I think that's. What does it mean the better team? I think Suggs is a top five pick. I think Butler is for Baylor is going to be a first round pick. I don't know where Davion Mitchell. I mean, I think he's better than than Butler for the NBA, but. I just don't think people are crediting Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy and Baylor's guards, except for Suggs, because people are saying he's going to be a top-five pick. But the rest of them, nobody's crediting them as being these high-profile prospects that we looked at with Zion. And I'm trying to think even last year, um, maybe Anthony Edwards of last year, the number one pick, I thought they were getting more of the the hype and the 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 star power that ESPN would show the, these guys every night. I don't I don't see that because Gonzaga and Baylor are just two teams that have everybody. Yeah. They don't have just star. They have stars, not one guy that's carrying this whole team. And the way they share the ball, like I said earlier, both sides. It doesn't matter who scores. It's just unselfish, and their personalities don't get in the way of each other. They complement each other. And that's why they're here in this position to be the two best teams uh, all season. And hopefully for every college basketball fan's sake, gets the championship game. That would be a phenomenal game to watch. Is it the most what, – what was the most word you said? Most, most anticipated? anticipated in my eyes, I, I would say yes. But, like, then you ask people of that, that Duke team that didn't, that didn't go far. But that was more – I was more anticipated to watch them sometimes than this – Gonzaga or Baylor team. I don't know why that is. I think it's just the NBA yeah, prospects yeah. of the coverage of them. I think the way these teams are covered is is just different than a, a high a high profile Michigan State or Duke yeah. or I mean a yeah. blue blood pretty it, much. It kind of reminds me of the Spurs like in the early yeah um, two thousand. That's, that's a good one. That's a good comparison. Yeah, like they were like a boring brand of basketball. Like I don't think it's that boring, but they just moved the ball incredibly, shared it. It was just a legitimate team right. playing cohesively together. 
and people thought they were boring. They didn't get as much media coverage. Like those Heat teams were getting all the coverage because they had the star power and LeBron and the whole big three. But like <laughs> the Spurs took care of them one year, and I mean that was just kind of what Gonzaga is. You know, they're maybe not the bat brand brand of basketball that college basketball wants with the star power and the prospects. But they play together. They're fun to watch, and they get the job done. And we're, if if those two teams meet, we're going to see two of the five finalists for the the Wooden Award or the Naismith Trophy, whatever you want, whichever one. They're both there. Corey Kisper, Jared Butler, Jalen Suggs should be there too. Unfortunately, he's not just because they share the ball like that. But these are probably I'll I'll say Davion Mitchell's a top college basketball player. There's five players in this game that are just incredible college basketball players that. It goes past them even with both sides. I think it would be a very anticipated matchup, but some people are still going to overlook Gonzaga just because of the conference they play in, and that's right. very unfortunate. People are always going to hate on the best team especially, but... But I do think the Gonzaga hate would stop with a national title. 100%. I agree. I mean, I... For this year. Honestly, if you, if you still hate Gonzaga, like, what are you doing? Just in, I don't get how anybody just yeah. doesn't want them to win. They're, they are just too yeah. fun to watch. To answer my original question, I'm going to say yes, it is the most anticipated championship in the 20 to 21 years of our lifetime, um, just because we were robbed of that game. I think Kansas-Memphis in 2008 is up there as well, when all four number one seeds made the Final Four. But um, Villanova, North Carolina. Villanova, North Carolina is there so too. Yeah, I mean, the, just the That's also hindsight, because that was like the best college basketball right, game. That is true, that is true. Hindsight is 20-20. But... Um, just to wrap up, uh, unfortunately, these are going to be the last college basketball games we preview before they happen. Uh, we're sad to see the season end, but we're going to start trying to come back every week, hopefully get some guests on the, in the future. you got the coaching carousel, the transfer portal, the NFL draft, the NBA draft. Uh, the collegiate chaos never ends. But um, that'll end chaos this, never the stops. chaos never stops. <laughs> that'll end this week's episode. I'm Ben Dixon alongside Matt Levine and Sam Ostry. We'll see you next time.